Welcome to episode four of the Break Magazine podcast. This week's episode is all about the Dakar rally and more importantly, how to finish it. Finishing the Dakar, I think for most adventure riders is kind of the ultimate goal. It's our Everest. It's the peak of seeing what you can achieve as a person. And I think one of the coolest things about that race is that you have the opportunity to test yourself against some of the fittest, best motorbike riders in the world. This week's guest is Patsy Quick, and she first attempted the Dakar in 2006 as Britain's first woman to attempt it, first woman from Britain to finish the race, former European Enduro champion, star of Channel 4's Escape TV show, and now in charge of Desert Rose Academy, I believe you're called, Um, uh, which along the way you've kind of helped many people attempt to achieve their dream of finishing the Dakar rally and other equivalent sized rallies. So to start with, talk us through that journey of how you got to your first Dakar in 2003. Where did that dream come from and how did you make it happen? Um, good question, really. And in, in a way, I, there's not there's not actually a, a simple answer to this. Uh, I was always a tomboy. Um, and um, I, you know, I was the one that had the, I think it's the, yeah, the chipper before the grifter. And I'd had an interest in motorbikes, but it probably wasn't um, an off-road bikes. Um, but it wasn't really until I got together with my first husband, Clive, and then it started to evolve and I went and bought, you know, a trials bike and that, you know, started racing back from the woods rather than, trialing back from the woods the speed element came into it um and then got an xr 400 when i shouldn't have done because we'd actually got a loan to, to do a property up and patsy went and spent spent it on buying an xr 400 which didn't go down quite too well at the time <laughs> um and then and then got into the ocu and started a british championship then did the European and it was just at the end of the European and although I'd, I'd watched Dakar and seen and seen elements about it I wouldn't say it was something I'd you know really knew about from a kid you know motorcycling wasn't something that ran in the family um, at all and then in fact it was Paul Round that um, phoned me up from Rally Road UK and then and well, that's how I went to the first Dakar in 2003 with, with two with the Honda, and and then I just got on this guinea pig wheel of failure, go back, failure, go back, failure, ah, finish. Um, yeah, so that's that's how it all came. I mean, there was lots of stories and lots of changes along the way, but um, once I'd got into actual racing, um, and then the same when Paul Round uh, phoned me up. Um, and a good friend of, friend of mine, Andrew Neary, and then it just exploded. It just, yeah. So I think you just touched on it a little bit there, but the most interesting part of your Dakar story for me is the progression and the lessons that you had to go through learning. So what were the biggest challenges uh, that you faced and kind of what were the biggest lessons that you went through from that first time going and not finishing to finishing 2006 with Clive? I think the first one, obviously, is the is the financial one. So right from the beginning, and each subsequent year, um, probably naively, you go for the first time. I don't know whether I actually thought I would finish. I can't really remember if a, a clear cut memory of that. You just go. You're very naive. You don't know what it's like. I'd done one rally before that, <laughs> um, and. So when uh, I had the accident, lost my spleen, came back. When I went in 2004, it's that whole financial commitment again, being selfish again, putting other things um, on the back burner. Mentally, because I'd got to overcome some fear, having crashed fairly significantly in the first one. Um, but I can't remember. There wasn't. There wasn't really a choice in my head. It was to go back, um, and 
somehow we agreed, um, Clive and I at the time, that we raised the money. You know, there was no social media, so it was really very, very difficult. No one really knew about Dakar as such, like people do now in the off-road world. You know, they remember, you know, Mark Thatcher getting lost. Yeah. So very difficult. It was a case of literally, you know, we I made up. In fact, I dagged them out the other day, and I couldn't believe how much work we put into them. You know, big A3 portfolios. Yes, I'd 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 sort of hit the headlines a bit in even the daily papers after my crash. So, um, all coverage is good coverage in a way, even though it's yeah. <laughs> fairly traumatic moment in my life um and sending them off to sponsors so that was one the whole financial aspect the m- mentally i think you you are either put off by something like an accident or you're not yeah and i was very lucky i had that i had the support around me um from my then husband and it was then decided that yes, Zippy, the infamous Zippy, would come along. Not, not as a. Um, it was known then as a water carrier, like the top boys used to have. No, I didn't want someone to pick my bike up. It was more mentally almost to enjoy that journey and to be able to share it with someone, and also probably for my, for my husband at the time that somebody else was out there. Yeah. Um, so I was very adamant, you know, I didn't want anyone picking up my bike, you know, I was going to be one of the lads, that was it. Um, but it was also very much to be able to share, be able to express yourself to somebody else that understood what you'd been going through each day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, which is very important because you're in this little bubble of a helmet and, and, you know, sometimes you'd get to a checkpoint or you'd get to your mandatory stop in the day and you'd lift your helmet and go, blah, blah, blah. did you say, shit? and then you'd get back and then the first person would be your mechanic or your, uh, so, and, and yeah, it's um, having now been on the assistant side, it's a bit of a thankless job because you, you'd get back and you just have to tell people. So if you had a good day, it was great. But if you had a bad day, then they were the first to find <laughs> out yeah. so to, to do that three times um was yeah was was exceedingly challenging in the financial aspect and i look back now um recently having had having the time with the lockdown to, to go through lots of old photos and see all the time we spent putting these portfolios together to to physically mail out to people um it's it's also the selfishness of that rally that I of any big event, not necessarily rally, I think to any big event where you have to train very hard and raise a lot of money, it doesn't sit very easily with me. Mm. Okay. So you've been running the support since I think two thousand and seven now with lots of different big races, rallies, Romaniacs, Ceres, Hellas, kind of pretty much anything that most people would <laughs> want to do in that world, you kind of do assistance at. So when someone comes to you and they say, I want to do Dakar or I want to do Africa Eco Race, how does that conversation go? What do you ask them? What do you talk about? Do you talk about their riding ability, their fitness, their why? What, what does that conversation go like? Yes, I think it, it, that question, that conversation has changed slightly over the years since I've been doing assistance, and um, it's getting a feel f- for that person. Some so initially, whether it's come through an email or a, a, a telephone call, and I have had a lot of them since two thousand and seven. Certainly, in the last more the last five years, certainly as rallies have, have gained momentum. In the UK and first of all it's never to, to judge by initial email or a telephone conversation because you I always I'm, I'm a big believer you've got to you've got to keep yourself open everyone comes from different walks of life and it's trying to just wheedle out sometimes now for me 
more why they want to do it. Um, because nobody ever understands particularly those two events until they've done the first one. Yeah. I'm sure some of the guys that came, that came with me this year on Eco would agree with that. doesn't matter how much I talk to them, how much. It, it always becomes quite a shock. So it's trying to get a feel for their riding. So if it's if you take those two events in particular, um, I'm almost I'm always keen to get them out to Morocco sooner than later. Mm-hmm. But I think it one is because that's where we go and do the training. It's the nearest bit of sand. But it's also trying to get them down and actually talk to them so you can actually get a feel. Are they really serious? Are they really going to push themselves? Is it just something that they want to tick off the bucket list? Um, are they really competitive? You know, are they going there um, and wanting to, to do well and get places? And Or is it just all part of an adventure? And I think it's trying, sometimes getting across to them that it's actually enjoying the journey to the start. Mm-hmm. Because that can actually sometimes be the hardest journey. So it's like, now I'm a little bit more bold and a little bit more honest with people and say, look, how much time have you got? Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got two years or three, it's great. To try and do it in a year, it's great. But you need to tell me how much time you can take off. I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, if you're in a, in a time position and a financial place where you can go, right, I can spend six months of the year getting ready then great um but it's so i think probably now i'm a i'm a bit more honest with people simply because um i've seen so many people want to make that journey um and some get there some don't and so now i think i'm almost being being by being more honest i'm being I'm doing my job better in a way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and I can imagine that's a complicated, difficult conversation to have. Yes, and I think sometimes as a woman, it's it sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's harder. Hmm. So you know, if we get to Morocco, sometimes I can get away. With, well, you've got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to start back at the basics, or or sometimes it's it's just letting people have their emotional moments and then they'll come back and say, okay, perhaps you're right. Now I can understand a little bit what you're saying and I can go away from this and we can make a plan. And so it's read you. It's being able to read people, I think as well. Mm. So we and get, we pardon, which sometimes we have to be very um, careful, <laughs> tactful. Um, so we get quite a lot of, questions around people's riding ability when it comes to Dakar we make a lot of how-to videos and it's a question I get asked quite a lot so what do you think is the minimum realistic level that someone needs to be at to finish that race what again I've noticed over the last few years is a lot of the lads that want to get into the rallies have actually come from the adventure bike world Mm -hmm. so Yes, they might have been used to quite big, heavy bikes. Um, speed isn't an issue, but it's they haven't got that technical ability. They haven't come up what I call through the enduro world or from the motocross world, Charles. And they haven't been through that racing back. They haven't got that racing background, which I think actually is very, very important which for, for numerous reasons. So I, again... I've seen, or we, you know, Desert Rose has taken two people that really I would say were sportsman riders and got one of them um, right, uh, who completed Dakar in 2010. So, but it's just, it's how much time you have, mm-hmm. I think. So I, so I think the minimum is if you're talking enduro, is, yeah. is a ability is a you know a good clubman a good a good clubman rider mm-hmm. but 
So for American viewers, that's kind of like a translation of that would be like a good B grade rider. You know, if A grade is expert and then you have pro class, Clubman is our B grade. So a good kind of mid-pack Clubman rider. Yes. So, Mm -hmm. and and I think, um, as I say, I think what I've noticed is the guys that have come more from the adventure uh, biking background, which has been a lot, they're quite happy to go fast. And then... They wonder why they have the offs, the mm. big accidents. Or when it gets a little bit technical, you know, the rallies isn't technical like we would refer to within with Enduro um, as such. But it's when um, – it's also reading the track. Mm-hmm. I think people that have uh, – people that have raced, they read a track and a lot and see what's coming up. And when it gets a little bit more technical, so whether it's in the rocks or in the dunes, that that skill shows through a lot more. Mm-hmm. On the fast piece, yeah, anybody can, uh, you know, open the throttle and go go for. But they're not necessarily always reading the train. I think like someone that has raced, and that's what I've really noticed. But also from a mechanical point of view. Hmm. Very much so that people that have raced tend to when they stop, they're looking at their bike, they've got that ear. Yeah. And they've got that sympathy and they know how much to push the bike. And I think that's that's what in the last few years I've sort of struggled more with to get across to people. Yeah, okay. I haven't actually come through the enduro world. Hmm. Kind of not learnt those kind of yeah underground base skills yes. that you pick up yes. just by About surviving. And everything. And 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 the guys have been very good and they take that on board and they go away and they research about specific tools and they talk to other people, uh, whether it's my partner Chris now, who's done lots of rallies, you know, what do you carry? And if they come away with us, that's the beauty of doing a few events before a big one mm-hmm. is talking to the other guys that are with Desert Rose and it's learning all those little bits and then taking a bit from everybody and thinking, yep, I can see now, you know, that's why he's he's got a bum. You know, it's amazing, you know, the lads, <laughs> the lads don't like bum bags anymore. They don't like carrying anything on them. And it's like, if you'd come through the enduro background, you would have a bum bag, you'd have your tools in there. Yeah. And, um, and I have, yeah, some of the, some of my customers probably, um, if they <laughs> They're watching this. Going, yes, she told me she'd got it. I've got to get rid of my rucksack on the back. I was covering too much and all that. But it's because, you know, I've mm. learned the hard way. Mm. So if I'm sat at home watching this now and I am that kind of enthusiastic trail rider, adventure rider, I'm pretty good, but I'm kind of maybe not quite at the level where Dakar is there yet. I need to do a bit of work. What do you think is the best path to get there? If you have, if you've got the time, in an ideal world this is, if you've got the time and you've got the funds, give yourself at least a couple of years mm-hmm. and enjoy those two years. That's all part That's all part of it, all part of the road. And come away, I think, come away with us to Morocco or other people that offer training in the gym, especially if you're going to go, or if you want to do a big desert-based rally. Mm-hmm. You need to understand that because if you look back through Dakar, you know, that's where people get get hurt or come out of the race is in the dunes. So you need to understand. And then try and do as many perhaps of the European rounds. So I think you need to do one really good desert-based rally. I personally, I think uh, Morocco Desert Challenge is very, very well run. And then more importantly, it's got bikes, it's got cars and it's got trucks. Because for a lot of the guys that go and turn up at Dakar, that might be the first time they've raced with trucks. And that can be exceeding elder cars. Really scary. Yep. (laughs) Yep. It sure is. (laughs) Very scary. So, um it's a it's a private run event, so the cost. But coming back to what you asked me, yet yeah, so good, and that 
is is basically half a Dakar or half an Eco race. Mm. So if you do that, you think, well, went through that okay. You know where you know where you stand, and and certainly it's it's being in that environment as well, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. Meeting lots of people, seeing what goes on, because everyone has so many questions. And as much as I can answer them, it doesn't really make any sense until you go to a go to a, a rally of a fair size. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and and also your fitness, because that's the other thing that I I I do see is yes, you are you've got to be bike fit, but you've also got to be fit as a person, physically and mentally but physically so that when it gets tough you're not then struggling also physically and understandably all the lads spend a fortune on their bikes um but they need to think they need to think about themselves i think um very importantly so when it gets tough or when it gets to that seven or eight days Certainly, the day before rest day, that's when you see people mm-hmm. go out because they are they they're they're tired, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and that's when mistakes are made. Mm-hmm. That's when concentration lapses. So if you if you've got two, I think two years for the sort of average person from a financial time wise, family, what everything is to. If you're already in that sort of enduro world, hare and hounds, is is to keep on some of that racing. But then, I would say the minimum, the minimum is is one uh, desert based rally and at least a small rally if you can. So if people are at the point where their technical skill isn't good enough, or those rallies bring them on enough to to get them there. Yes, and I think if they're willing to then go back and seek help, mm-hmm. because we can all sometimes sort of bluster on, you know, in the wrong direction, thinking we're, we we know what we're doing. But, you know, it's to find someone for your technical ability um, and some, pra- you know, your practical skills. What If what goes wrong, you know, either a situation or something with the bike, um, that I think's overlooked a lot of the time mm. they, you know they they spend a fortune on their bike um and they expect them they expect that bike to get them to the finish well you know anything mechanically can go wrong so i think it's it's a big it's a big picture so i think one of the most common things after kind of riding ability that people are interested in when it comes to rally is the navigating side of things it's always the first question even from people i know that are very good riders they're like how does the robot work am i going to be okay and am i going to am i going to end up in a wrong country so how important do you think the navigating is and how difficult do you think it is to learn to navigate well is it dependent as well on rider skill or is it just a completely different thing i think it's a completely different personally a completely different thing and i think some people their brain just understands it a bit quicker than the next person they my my partner chris he loves he he loves the road books and i've got some customers they love they love the road book and they're very good at it they understand but they see they see the information whereas i can be Right, let's just get in front of that person in front. And oh, that's that's it's gone the wrong way. I'm or I'm not actually seeing the information because I'm thinking now. When I get back, I must make sure the lads have done that. This is this was uh, a few years ago when I I sort of got back into rallies and but also running assistance and I I wasn't actually concentrating. I wasn't actually seeing the information. So I think some people's brain are just keyed in that way they they understand it but it's not it's not rocket science and i think the most common thing certainly from lads that 
like to race. They have just got to wind that throttle in. They just want to go and they'll follow anybody and then they get lost. So it's not it's not difficult, but I think you have just got to learn to ride at the speed that you can actually navigate. Um, I think with some of the, each rally is very different and it's some of the smaller rallies, I would say, have much harder navigation than Dakar mm-hmm. or Africa Race or perhaps MDC, which is, is, is a very big event now. Mm-hmm. Um, because you've got a lot more competitors on that route so there's there's you could say there's more tracks to follow um but on some of the smaller rallies and and you have even if it's the 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 gps that's the mandatory gps which is only giving you a certain amount of information to keep things simple whereas on some of the smaller rallies that's it it's just the road book there is no gps Mm. so you have to as you know from from doing so, you have to get it right. Yep. <laughs> and the smaller rallies, certainly the European rallies, there's a lot more changes of direction and turns. Whereas in the desert, there's obviously less turns and and much bigger distances between changes of direction. Mm. So again, by doing a, a smaller European event, I think that really gets you to really home in on that road book because you are lost very quickly um if you're just going to follow the person in front yeah yeah. (laughs) i've seen that and for some people it just it just clicks and some people would go to a rally having never kind of had any training or understanding on the road but and then they just pick it up like that Mm -hmm. others you can take them away and they'll do several rallies and they're still not getting it and it's it's i think some it's just some people just see see and understand the information okay it is very important yeah and especially now there's you know obviously new rulings coming in and on dakar with the road books being handed out in the morning and now possibly going to, and and pre-colored and marked up um, which I think is, personally, it's for that event. I think it's been and getting rid of the map man. I think it's a really good mood move personally. How much weight do you put on the whole colouring in, marking road books up? Obviously, there's a lot of stigma around it, and all the pro riders yeah. turn their books into a child's colouring book, and <laughs> everyone has their own style and their own kind of method for it and i know when i started i didn't know what i was doing so i colored everything in so how much do you kind of how much do you put into that how much do you help your guys with that or yeah i what i say to them it's not a bible you know there is no golden rule but you must color in like this and mark this and do that it's how you see the information so how i would mark a road but would be very different to you i think it's the most boring bloody job hate it and putting it in but uh, only because now you know, I, I have to highlight so much to try and see it or enlarge the thing uh, and some of my customers have actually made magnifying road books can't see um, but there, no it's how it works what I say it, it's how it works for you we can give tips but then i think it's only going to work for you after you've done a few events or training trips at morocco and and then it clicks and then you'll either add more information or more colors as you say some people it's just like for me it's uh it's change i think it's it's change of direction dangers and the information that i won't see because i'm not concentrating okay pretty so everybody chris would have a way uh and uh, everybody would have has their 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 different ways and i think having seen some of the the top riders you know it's the cap's very important um but for us 
mere mortals down at the you know down at the other end it's 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 seeing a, a fence on the left hand side you know that they wouldn't even <laughs> they wouldn't even see so i think the big thing is it's going at a at a speed to be able to learn it you've got to go at a speed where you do learn it mm. yeah because so many people just, oh, just follow the person in front mm -hmm. so they've spent all that money and gone on an event and they haven't really understood the roadbook mm -hmm. because they get carried away in the moment. I mean, which we all do. Very much. So I think, um, you know, one of the coolest things about Dakar for me is that it is an endurance event. You know, it's two weeks long. It's 10,000 K. It, it's very much about fit, about your ability to sustain your output and the guys at the top of Dakar, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the, the guys at the top of Dakar are unbelievable athletes. You know, they're some of the fittest people yeah. in the world. They're genuine athletic specimens of humans. But for us mere mortals, how much do you think fitness matters to actually getting across the line? And when it comes to your, your people that you're helping with Eco Race and Dakar, how, how do you help them? with their fitness what do you kind of direct them towards doing yes i do think i do think it's very important and i think that's changed a lot to i think fitness for the top boys has changed a lot they are as you say they're just top athletes now and you can see the way they train and i'm i think that has changed a lot for for us uh kind of mere mortals at the back a bit more i think i think if you are physically fit, you're more likely to be mentally fit. Because when it gets really tough and you are really exhausted, if you're if you're more exhausted because you haven't put in that effort and that time, it runs you down mentally. Then you make more mistakes and I think then it's a vicious circle. Mm -hmm. So for, for one of the things I what used to be very cruel actually is I used to get um, to do the twenty four hour talk till dusk. I remember just, it well. <laughs> just uh, and actually I need to, I need to bring that into back into play a little bit more again. But something where it's really going to push you. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're we're out in Morocco. I don't push people probably because there's a mix. Sometimes they're training for rally. Sometimes they just want to come and experience the desert. And because you're not in a rally bubble and the safety aspect and all the rest of it, sometimes it's quite hard to push people as hard as you know that they should be being pushed. But and bike fitness and gym fitness as we us riders know is is very it's very difficult but it's little things really it is like being able to push your bike well we've all got space you know push your bike up a hill 10 times and see how you get on something because when we're in our kit you know it's all right going to the gym doing a few rows and the rest of it but when you've got your kit on or you're holding it and you're trying to do anything physically, pick that bike up. That's what I, I, I always remember. That's when I just used to, it's, and I I like to think, looking back, I was very fit. But doing anything when you've got your kit on. <laughs> and in the desert, in the heat. In the heat, exactly, yeah. Um, or at night, as it was then, you know, when the cold comes down as well. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think, there's probably too much emphasis sometimes on the bike and all the bling than actually on themselves mm -hmm. and 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 taking it and not not actually expecting the bike to do all the work yeah they they have to be prepared to put the you know to put the the fuel into themselves mm -hmm. um, that that's my own feeling so i think from trying to find bike events be it you know a three hour hare and hound where you to the longer enduros um 
where you you don't just go and just try and finish. You you try and get a, 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 a good place, and you're pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, towards the end, I probably didn't do. I didn't have. We didn't have the funds to do many events. In fact, I I think too that I didn't ride a lot, but I would train a lot. Um, now there's all those you know there's the crossfit there's lots of different training programs out there that aren't that expensive you know that the the guys you know whether it's johnny walker or billy bolt or that it's all out it's all accessible whereas i just go to the local gym and say to them i'm going to go and do a rally and they just look at me and go what not understand biking but now there's everything isn't there but even when even when you went to dakar you still did a lot of gym work you were still pretty fit in 2006 yes because i couldn't afford to actually go to do enduros or Mm -hmm. or have a bike at the same time as 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 the rally bike Mm -hmm. okay So so i do i do think it's 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 kind of sometimes gets forgotten about Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen kind of dozens of people at this point, customers and friends and people that you've met go to Dakar, go to Africa race, those kind of big ones and not finish. Yeah. What is it that kind of you see most often that stops people finishing that race? Is it that they haven't ticked all the boxes? Is it that they kind of don't quite have the grit or the attitude or yeah, what is the kind of the the thing that you see most often? I'd actually say we've we as Desert Rose have been very lucky um and happy to have got a very high percentage of our riders to the finish of all events so for us it's the mechanical failures that we we hate the most and that uh, that sounds a bit harsh because i don't want anybody to have an accident hurt themselves but um for us when we're working on the bikes to get that call and your guts just you just feel sick actually there's the mother in me of you know wanting to get everyone back and safe and and looking after them but we have been very lucky and you know very proud that we have got so many riders to the finish of all the events so out of the ones that haven't got it's actually been through injury more than a mechanical problem which from without sounding harsh is 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 better for us yeah because as I say we don't want and we can't guarantee mechanical problems because it's mechanical mm-hmm. with all moving parts we can only do our best and hope that riders have a, a sympathy to their machines mm-hmm. um so we've probably seen more people so you could then say well why have people crashed and i think t- tiredness not not so therefore they lose their concentration mm-hmm. certainly on the desert rallies because one minute you are that you're just going along thinking you know you're sam sunderland and the next minute you're dead <laughs> ah <laughs> yes no i'm not Oh, I thought the desert was flat. No, it's not at all. Uh, um, so, yeah, I I think it's been the ones that have crashed. Some have just been very, very unlucky. Just, and you do need that luck. They just, everything was going right. And then the bike barks, kicks, you and you've landed, but no, you've landed on rocks. Mm-hmm. So again, I think the fitter that you are and the more kind of racing knocks being offs that you've had, you you learn to fall <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying you learn to fall better. You learn to feel a little bit softer than it's the true. person that might not. Yeah. Um, you do. You can see it happen and you 
it's probably the same with horse riders. Mm -hmm. uh, you can just like millisecond know it's all going to go peak tong and that's it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still doing it now like I did last week on the trials bike in the stream, face planted it treat. <laughs> but I knew it was coming. So I think, yes, so I think, I think, and the, and the odd mechanical uh, failure is by something that, that we, we couldn't have prevented, um, which can be a combination of rider error and just engines or a part going, giving up going pop really. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so I think, um, as a, as a kind of spectator, one of the best things about Dakar is those stories that come out every year of outrageous levels of determination. Um, and when you took part in Channel 4's show Escape, we kind of got to see a little glimpse of what that determination in you looks like. There was that scene where you're pushing and dragging a 100-litre fuel tank through the mud and, and all the other people are sat on the other bank going, you're doing a really good job and you're sat there pushing it and dragging it and no one else can do anything because they're all knackered. And so how much does that determination and grit matter to getting to the end of Dakar? And I think more importantly, is that something you think can be learned or is that something you kind of never figure out until you're in that situation where you need it? Yeah. I think, I think as an individual, you do know, you do know whether you've got that, but then there would be a percentage of people that until quite rightly, as you said, they're in that situation. And I've met people that have really surprised me, you know, um, and not, and not just in, in the, in the biking world that I, I've thought, God, you really have, you know, you're, you're really steely. You've, you've got that, that something. Um, and with the with the rally well, the, yeah, you you really do need that. You need to have that in you. And I don't know if it's something. And I've been asked for something you you can make yourself or train yourself to have because you don't necessarily know until you're in that situation. Um, you might have had little things in life, hardships or physical worries, financial, and you overcome them. But I think the one thing about the rally world is that when you're out there on your own, especially in the desert, which I think we have this little sort of fear, this, this, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. Certainly when it was in Africa, that was, you had that. Um, but you do need that. You really do need to have some balls. And yes, I have told some people in the past to grow some, use Zippy's expression, grow some balls. Because if you just, and perhaps I have sort of mollycoddled people too much, and, and that has changed a bit, but you do, you do need it. You can't at the first scratch on your finger, oh, I can't carry on. Or if you have a mechanical issue, oh, that's it, I've given up. But you have to, you have to want something enough, and you've got to have that in you. And I, and I still don't know, even at my age, whether you, if you haven't got that, when the shit hits the fan, whether you can train yourself, whether you can. I, I don't know. I suppose that's kind of ultimately the point of going, right? Is to see, yeah. for you most of us, is to see whether you're capable of dealing with that situation or not. Yeah. Whether you, you uh, whatever you do in, in life, when you have your own Everest, whether you can get to the top, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be Dakar or Africa race. 
there's lots of things in life that come along and it's just whether you you can really really dig deep and i didn't know i'd got it mm-hmm. yeah I'm stubborn but it needs a bit <laughs> it needs a bit more than that mm-hmm. uh and i think the biggest the, the biggest is the pain the physical pain and how do we measure our own pain threshold yeah it's a great question you know when when zippy had to tow me through through sand and i'd i'd you know my knee was the size of an elephant uh but i think the power of adrenaline is fantastic once that adrenaline kicks in you don't feel pain <laughs> do the next day the day after. Yeah. That's, that's what gets you you've got to have that adrenaline and i think to have that adrenaline you really got to have a want something mm-hmm. really want it yeah but then there's different changes really want. you know i uh you need to be a selfish person which I always like to think I'm not a selfish person. So in certain circumstances, I would prefer pain than being selfish. Okay, yeah. Which is a bit weird, isn't it, really? (laughs) But that's my natural, that's my my personality. So I would prefer to be the one being towed Mm -hmm. than the one towing. I mean, you know, if, if if it was someone I didn't know, you know, and I'd and I was in a situation. So, but I think we all need that in life. We all need to have that moment where we have to dig really deep. Yeah, really deep. It's how you find out what you are and what you're made of, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think so. I think that is for me. Uh, I think it's great that there's more and more people come into the rally world, and there's more people that don't rely on sponsorship and i think sometimes you could say well if you've been sponsored and you're having you're more answerable to someone it's not your own money then well you could give up more easy for me it was the opposite i i felt that the bit of cash i had raised i couldn't let anybody down and whether whether if you are able to do it off your own back which is fantastic whether uh it's easier to give up I don't know. Hmm. I think it's just you as a person. Hmm. Interesting. So when it comes to choosing your... I'm just cruel. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to choosing bikes, realistically, you've got two options. You can go with kind of a pre-made bike like a KTM 450RR or the Yamaha, which is as close to a pre-made bike as you can get from an enduro bike or you can go down that route of riding a 450 exe with some kind of kit on it so how do you how much does bike choice matter how do you help people in deciding their bike choice and what are the kind of things that they need to be thinking about good question um and because we had probably a few more issues with bike choice this year in Africa race. It, it, it is important, and but at the end of the day, it's not my money. It's it's the customer's money. They're spending their their own money. So normally, if they've come out to Morocco with me, they that's given me the chance to see. So if someone says to me, "Look, I want to buy a four fifty RR." I can afford that. I'm not. They haven't necessarily got the ability at the moment, but I want to get that ability, and it's their money. Then, then great. So for I, for you, there's a different. Uh, there's an ability difference required to ride those two bikes. Yes, yes. Let probably less so now than they used to be because they have just got that much smaller and that much lighter to the current model it is more more similar to an ex let's say the orange brand and more similar to an exc now than that ever used to be uh you know i've still got a 660 that had 48 liters of fuel so that was very different than the 525 that i finished on um so the gap is narrower but you it, it, 
they are still different cost wise there's not a huge amount by the time you've kitted out properly mm-hmm. and it's a uh, but it comes down I think to the level of the rider also the the, the build and the fitness of the rider and how they want to do you know if someone has come to me and goes right Patsy uh, I'm a good enduro rider um, I'm going to spend two years at this and I want to go for a position then a, a factory rally bike is the way to go if someone comes to me that's kind of done a bit middle of the road and um, just wants to finish and I can see that actually their their level of riding and their fitness, then we've had quite a number of, of uh, customers finish big events on an enduro-based bike. Mm-hmm. But the other thing now I think you've got to take into that whole bigger picture is that that bikes are being built to lesser tolerances mechanically i i feel a little bit um and to a cost and so possibly i'm not qualified possibly the enduro bikes aren't the like the good old 525 used to be yeah they've lost a little bit of that bulletproof yes Yes. and and even probably in the last sort of one to three years possibly we had issues um this year on that race um but you could also go with an rr and if you haven't really learned to ride that bike you would be far more tired more quick certainly in the dunes mm-hmm. so that bike's great on the piste it's really solid it's very stable being a longer chassis um but you get it in the dunes so if you haven't mastered the sand you could be knackered really quickly mm-hmm. um at the same time it's very because it's easy to go fast which and i that's the thing i've said to the lads that have gone down that route it's very easy to go fast on the flat but you've got to you've got to know where you're riding that bike and be able to rein because it is very stable. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of look at an event like Dapper and you think, well, how much actually is dunes and how much is paste? So where where am I going to gain? And am I am I going to put all the effort in to be able to, to train and really get to grips with that bike? Mm-hmm. So. And what's going to be, where, where are the spares, you know, who's going to have the most spares? So Dakar, really, you know. And because that bike now is so much more rideable, the RR, this is and smaller. Mm-hmm. It, and if you want, if you want to push it, statistically, it's probably, you've got more chances of not blowing an engine. Mm-hmm. But... I've also seen them blow an engine. So you can't, you know, it, it's a big rounded package, all of this. You've got to have that big chunk of luck. You've got to put all the effort in, all the training in, mechanical training, and 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 then try and go with the right choice. It, but it is important. Mm. And I, it's what's right for one person is, is not right for the other. Okay, interesting. It's complicated. I did have a... One of the one of the guys uh, that went to Africa race this year, he came out with to me to Morocco and he was on a five hundred. Tall, big, very strong. I said, if you take that bike to Africa race, you're gonna break it. <laughs> so he went and he said, Yeah, that was that was um, the right thing for me to do. Um, and sometimes very difficult because if I try and get the rider to make that choice unless I think they're really going down the wrong route because they go, Patsy, you told me to do this. You did it. So it's difficult. And it's their money, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to – it's 
it's all a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. So I think kind of my last question is if, if somebody sat here watching this podcast and they're kind of, oh, I want to do Dakar, that'd be an amazing dream. What do you say to them? Go for it. <laughs> if you have a dream, yeah. any dream, go for it. All a long time dead, and we're all, when you when I'm 18, I'm in my rocking chair. I can I bore people now. <laughs> That's the LT. When I did, but any dream, you've got to go for it. We're we're now we're put on this earth, and 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 we'll look 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 at what's happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never regretted anything. I never regretted losing my spleen. I never regretted, and each year I had those amazing adventures. Mm-hmm. But be sincere with yourself as to why you want to go and do it. Okay, that's a. I think that's a good. Uh... And if you have a partner, you need to talk to them. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to spend quite a bit of money. Yes, yes, Carl. We just had a comment from uh, Carl. He said, "Done." <laughs> He's going. Um, so we've got a few reader questions as well. Um, the first one is from someone who is watching right now, Michelle Brooks, Olpin. She says, hello, Patsy. Uh, I've just joined the podcast. May I ask how you coped with picking up your bike when it fell? I have changed my bike to a lighter one so I can feel more capable and confident. Uh I think I was probably one of those very lucky females that um, I've always been naturally quite strong and I've done very manual jobs. And again, it comes back to the adrenaline. When I really needed to be able to pick that bike up, even the 660, uh, I wouldn't, I don't think it was full with 14 litres, but I look back now and I think, oh my God, I had to do it. And I think with technique, uh, start and, and, and actually practice if you've got your bike actually pra- practice it in the in the correct way and you will build up that upper body strength very very quickly so it, it, you, you've just yeah go on Misha you've got to get that technique pick your bike up go out to the garage five times come in have a gin and tonic, go back out there. And Whoa, mid-gym mid <laughs> session gin and tonic. There you go. Hot off the press, Dakar training. <laughs> oh, that goes against some conventional fitness wisdom. <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, we had a couple of questions on our YouTube as well. Um, so what is more important, being a clubman rider with good endurance or an expert level rider? I think someone was kind of trying to convince themselves maybe that their ability level was good enough. I think I think endurance is very, very important as much as the skill level. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you can... I think probably to be a good expert, you actually have got quite good endurance. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you, you having very good endurance... And being able to push yourself, like we said earlier, is very important. Okay. So I think this next question is a pretty good one, actually. Is it more important for an amateur rider to invest in becoming a better rider technically through lessons, or is it better for them to put their money into roadbook training? No, I would put your money into invest it in your riding. Hmm. Because... That, that, I think is still, one is that will will cost more money than the roadbook training in a way. You can put the two together. So once you're of a certain ability, then to go, like, to, to go out with people and combine training and the roadbook at the same time is what we do. Okay? Uh, or go and do a rally. And that's a big learning. Once you get out there and you can, you've had some tuition on the road book, which can be done quite simply. You can get the road book. No, get, learn that ability. Okay. Um, and I think. Because it's no good reading a road book really, really good. <laughs> lying flat on your back. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a good point. <laughs> you've, still got to get, you've still got to be able to get to the end. So um, the last question uh, I've got here is, what is the best endurance training you can do besides riding your bike? Mine was life at the time. Life. <laughs> Mine was life. I was... I I was I've been self-employed. I had a very busy. I had a, an antique shop. Did all my own deliveries. I had a pine stripping business. So I and I used to work really still really long hours. So again, but I think now for somebody, I think there is so much more available online that you can do. At home so um something literally we're lucky where we live you could you know get a big tractor wheel there's that whole kind of crossfit my partner's son's done a lot of fitness all of that try and think how you are on a bike so like with endurance it's real spurts isn't it of energy mm-hmm. then you can sit back then real spurts of energy again and i think um Physically, I think there's a lot more out there now, um, not just sitting on a rower for hours and hours or swimming for hours or running. You've got to have a whole rounded physical, but you've got to get that right. The hardest bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But your bike, bike, bike fitness, bike time, there is nothing like being in a wet welsh bog enduro with your kit trying to get round to go really want to go to yes i think uh, there's quite a few of us uh, that know that well in the uk i think romaniacs is the only other event that we support that i feel that there's similarities mm-hmm. you've done romaniacs i where have <laughs> so exhausted so exhausted yeah that, that so it is hard in this country. You know, you've you've just got to think. You've just got to push yourself physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, that's probably the hardest race I've ever done. Yes. It was emotional. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very good. So um, I think that's probably everything I've got to ask you. Um, so, yeah, before we kind of wrap this up, tell everyone what you've got going on. What do you, what do, you do? Well... Lot, lots, uh, a little bit quieter at the moment, although I'm, I'm very lucky I've been out on the Charles bike at home and being very careful, I might add, so not to put any more stress on the NHS. But uh, so Desert Rose Racing, um, we're waiting to see, obviously, um, when the world will uh, return to more normality as far as rallies ago. The Academy, um, the Adventure Riding Academy, um, Hopefully, we'll be able to open up soon, perhaps with smaller numbers. And from that, we take everyone that's never ridden a bike before up up to Dakar. And last year, we launched the uh, the Desert Rose um, Kids Academy. So we're yeah. doing that on the Osset bikes. Um, and hopefully, we'll also have be able to do um, coaching with the the small with the children that specifically want a petrol engine bike. It's just trying to get the ground and the noise right a little bit more with those. Mm. Um, and we've just opened our new workshop, Desert Rose Dirt Tech, uh, um, with Joe Dan. Harry's running the academy. Um, so, yeah, there's still a lot going on. And which which races do you normally support? Uh more which ones we don't really i'll go anywhere where the numbers work so it goes from an last year from africa race in january uh i normally do my boot camp in february uh tuareg in march although next year i'm i'm looking at perhaps something uh different at that time of the year um Morocco Desert Challenge, as I mentioned before, in April, along with Iria Raid, which is brilliant for somebody that wants to learn a road book. It's a raid through seven countries, GPS or road book. So when you're not under that pressure of a race, it's it's fantastic for getting your 
head round. Uh, Hellas Rally, um, Albania Rally, Romaniacs, Ceres, um, Trans Anatolia in Turkey. Then we have Mizuga, basically all of them. <laughs> Sounds hectic. <laughs> yes, I think uh, I think we we've covered like ten to twelve rallies in twelve months or something. Nice, very good. So, thank you very much for your time. Um, thank you. That been... is, yeah, that's all I've got to ask you. If those of you watching are new to this podcast, um, this is typically a Patreon-only podcast, so it's a paid-for podcast that we run on our channel. Um, and we will be back in two weeks' time. We run three of these a month. So if you're interested in that, head to our Patreon page. Uh, you can find it at Break Magazine's website. And, yeah, otherwise, thanks very much. Have a good day. Thank you all. Happy weekend to everybody out there. Yeah.